Now, some of you probably feel this is the only portion of Scripture that I'm familiar with. And then some of you may be doubtful of that. But tonight we come to the 18th chapter of 1 Kings. And I want to begin reading in verse number 30 and go down to verse number 40. And Elijah said unto all the people, Come near unto me. And all the people came near unto him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took twelve stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, unto whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be thy name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. He made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two measures of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bullock in pieces and laid him on the wood and said, Fill four barrels with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood And he said, do it the second time. And they did it the second time. And he said, do it the third time. And they did it the third time. And the water ran round about the altar. And he filled the trench also with water. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel, and that I am thy servant, and that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God, and that thou hast turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, He is the God. The Lord, He is the God. And Elijah said unto them, Take the prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape. And they took them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slew them there. That's reading verses 30 through 40 of this 18th chapter of 1 Kings. Now, I have pointed out several truths in the life of Elijah as we have gathered our thoughts around this theme, a God-conscious life in a man-conscious world. Elijah was such a man, a God-conscious individual. Oh, that it might be said of you and me. I don't know much about him. I've not been around her much. 
But I tell you, he or she is a God-conscious individual. Oh, that that might be said of us. Of course, when Elijah came on the scene, it was a very hazy picture, the hazy, gloomy picture of the God-conscious life. And Elijah was not a weakling. He was a very healthy soul spiritually. He's the healthy prophet in the God-conscious life. Then we looked in particular at the heart possessed in the God-conscious life and the hiding place in the God-conscious life. I mentioned last night, tried to underline it a little, the humble path in the God-conscious life. In chapter number 17, verses 17 through 24, you have the widow woman's son raised from the dead. To me, it presents the hopeful pattern in the God-conscious life. Thank God our God is a God of hope. And then in the first 15 verses, as Elijah is met by Obadiah, we see that Elijah knew something of the heavy pressures in the God-conscious life. God has not called us just to frivolity and excitement. And Thank God for those moments of blessedness, but, oh, there's also moments of heaviness. And Elijah experienced those. I, I am not saying anything tonight about Elijah coming to the mountain initially, but he spoke to the people about halting between two opinions. And he said, if God be God, serve him. And if Baal be God, then follow him. I like to refer to that as the high position in the God-conscious life. Really, we do not live from earth to heaven. We're already seated in heavenly places in Christ. We live from heaven to earth, back to heaven. In chapter 18, beginning with verse 30, for a few minutes this evening, I want to preach on the holy pursuit of the God-conscious life. Now, I'm aware that the entire church body is not here tonight. And it's impossible on a weeknight, it seems, for any of our churches to come together as a total unit. But my burden is that God would help you as a church body not to stop where you are. And as individual believers, not to reach a plane of relaxation, but continue to pursue after God. Uh, I, I can only say about these verses that Elijah was in deep pursuit of God. Uh, I read an article recently entitled, Pursuing our destiny in the sky. All the scientists are trying to get more interest in going back to the moon 
In fact, NASA has announced that there will be a return to the moon in 2024. Japan has determined that they're launching a satellite towards the moon this summer. Isn't it interesting? Many want to find out if they can live in outer space, even on the moon, when they've never even learned how to live on planet Earth. Pursuing our destiny in the sky, they call it. Well, I'd like to talk to you tonight about pursuing after God. Seeking after God. And I I have been concerned when I have been here in the past, I have brought all uplifting type messages. And God has led me down a course, down a path in these days that is a little more sharp, a little more severe, demanding we might say. But God does not make any mistakes. And so I, I want to exhort you along these lines again tonight. Don't stop where you are. Dear Christian, don't throw up your hands now. Don't try to look for a coffee break now in the Christian life. We must follow on. We must follow after the Lord. Now, six hours have gone by. The false prophets of Baal have been on the stage. Uh, They have been frantic. Uh, Their actions have been fanatical. Uh, They have cut themselves with lancets. In their begging, Baal to come to their aid. But all has been futile. The great challenge was, whichever God answers by fire, let him be God. And poor Baal didn't even send a spark. After all the prophets' frenzy, now Elijah steps to center stage. And with full assurance of faith, He says to the people, come near to me. Come near to me. I don't want you to be standoffish. Come near to me. You see, when someone's real and genuine, they don't have to put up some kind of barrier. They don't have to put up some kind of wall of protection. They can say, "Just, just come right on up here where I am. Come near. And now he begins to seek God. I guess a good verse to use here is Jesus said, Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. May the Spirit of God use these simple thoughts to challenge some heart to a fuller, panting and yearning after God. I'm going to say several things from these verses. I'll try not to get involved in every little text, but I want to begin by saying in this holy pursuit, 
in the God-conscious life, we're made aware of the old landmarks. There are many in our day who want to bypass old truths and bypass old principles just to have something new. Well, certainly it's not wrong to try some new method that honors God, but we shouldn't sacrifice something old that still honors God. And so Elijah didn't just build a new altar. He repaired the old altar. We're confronted with the old landmark. I mentioned Christ's great... uh, Beatitude, blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness. In the next chapter in Matthew, he said, uh, to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That seems to me what Elijah is doing here. Verse number uh, 30 tells us he called the people and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. He repaired what was broken. Now later when you get into chapter 19, twice he complained to the Lord that the children of Israel had thrown down God's altars. You see, their idolatrous practices were bad enough But the enemy had even caused them to throw down the old altars. And so Elijah begins with the old landmarks. He repaired what was broken. Let me encourage us tonight in our pursuit of God. Let's not try to start at level two if there are some things that need to be repaired on level one. And Elijah repaired the altar. I could talk about repairing altars in our churches, in our homes, in our lives, but you get the message. Going back to the old landmarks and repairing what is broken. And then I love this. He not only repaired what was broken, he raised what had been blessed. Verse 32 Excuse me, verse 31, he took 12 stones. And notice how he does this. According to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, unto whom the Lord, the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be thy name. And with those stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. Uh, he is not only repairing what is broken, but he's raising up an altar that has been blessed. The twelve stones represent the tribes of God's covenant people. And so without question, Elijah's looking on the heritage of God's people. And his heart is so moved in his pursuit of God that he becomes a construction man. Uh, at the motel today, there was a large group of construction workers who came in and we got on the elevator with one coming down tonight and uh, 
I've been away from home too much through the years. I talked to everybody. And uh, I was conversing with him. And he was telling me what job he was working on, what they'd been doing for several weeks. Well, Elijah was not a construction worker by trade. But oh, he's repairing and he's raising, he's building as he comes to this new era in Israel's history. Noah did something similar when he got out of the ark after the flood. Don't you imagine he said, I'll never get in another building program after the ark. And maybe during the flood his wife said, Honey, I know you said you'd never be in another building program, but you know, I've sacrificed. I've never, we've never had a place of our own. I would love to have a place of my own, Noah. Wouldn't you build me a house? You know, the boys have really become experts. Couldn't you build us a little place? And Noah must have said, I told you, I'm not getting back in any building programs. This, this ark has been long enough. But as soon as he got off the ark, as soon as his feet touched the ground, he got into another building program. It wasn't as major as the ark, but he built an altar unto the Lord. He built an altar unto the Lord. May God somehow help us in our pursuit of God to lay hold of the old landmark. Notice secondly, in the holy pursuit in the God-conscious life, we also see the orderly lines. Elijah did not work in a haphazard fashion here. He, he did not sling it together. He, he did not hope everything worked out all right. But he approached God in a very orderly fashion. This verse has been on my mind for weeks. I've quoted it in many sermons. But in Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 6, we're told, They that come to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Diligently. There must be some thought. There must be some planning to seek the Lord. Notice firstly the orderly form of Preparation. In verse 32, he not only built the altar with the stones, but we read, and he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two measures of seed. Verse 33, and he put the wood in order and cut the bullock in pieces and laid him on the wood. Of course, we read in Leviticus chapter 1 that the burnt offering was to be laid in order, was cut according to its pieces and its joints. And then it was to be laid on the altar in order. You don't have to agree with this, but I'm of the persuasion that Abraham was prepared to do that to Isaac. For God had commanded him to offer thy son, thine only son, for a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I will tell thee of. I believe Abraham laid the wood in order and was prepared 
to offer Isaac, cutting him up as a burnt offering. Somebody said, oh, that would have been terrible. But Hebrews 11 says that he had faith that God would raise Isaac up if that took place. And so there's an orderly form of preparation. I don't want to sound like I'm bragging on myself, but I went through an interesting experience when I was in Bible college. I I was working second shift and going to school in the mornings, trying to take as big a load as I could to get on through and finish the work. And when I would come in from second shift at night, I was very tired. I'd have to get some work, some schoolwork done, of course. And I felt like I wasn't spending enough time reading my Bible and praying. You know, you can get so caught up in the work of the Lord that you miss the Lord of the work. And so I I decided each night after I got my homework, I was going over to another building across the street that they left open. I would go up to the third floor and there I would have a time of prayer. I was so tired and so drained. I would kneel down to pray. Some nights it didn't happen, but often when I knelt down to pray, I would go to sleep praying. And when I would wake up about 3 o'clock in the morning, I would be all twisted and gnarled. I wonder why I have arthritis now, you know. But I got so embarrassed. Lord, I'm going to sleep trying to talk to you. And the Lord impressed me to pray walking. And I found out that I didn't go to sleep while I walked. And I developed a lifelong habit of praying while walking. Back and forth. My wife came up to my study some time ago and I was praying. I was walking towards the door and then going back over to to the other door that leads into my study. I was in the office part and I was walking back and forth and I was walking towards the door when all of a sudden she came in and she said, well, where are you going? I said, well, I was going to the blessed throne of grace if I hadn't been interrupted. And she understood what was going on. But I'm saying we have to prepare. We we have to determine. Somebody said, but you don't know my schedule. You don't know my, uh, the demands that are upon me. No, but I know that there must be time to seek the Lord. There must be time to seek the Lord. And so Elijah prepared orderly in an orderly form. And then I might add, there was not only the orderly form of preparation, but there was the orderly fashion of presentation. Along with putting the book in its place, he told them to fill the barrels with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. He has not only prepared for this, but now he presents his offering to God. And he does so with total commitment. Paul said to Titus, I want you to set in order the things that are wanting. And perhaps tonight 
God would deal with some of us. Somebody said, well, I go to church, I tithe. What else do you want? It is time to seek the Lord, to pursue Him, to pant after Him, to hunger and thirst for Him. Oh, may God save us from pursuing some destiny on the moon. We might pursue fellowship with the living God. There's a third truth I would underline. That is the sacrifice was offered. It was a very diligent process. I'll say more about it in a moment. Elijah cuts up this bullock and he lays him on the wood and then he tells him to pour the water on it. Personally, I think this is a twofold type. Every burnt offering in the Old Testament seems to be a type of Christ who was offered for us the just for the unjust that He might bring us to God. But in approaching God, it seems as though this portrays a believer totally yielded, sacrificed. The life is one of total commitment. I beseech thee, Paul wrote to the Romans, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice unto God. We hear this in our day. God wants first place. God wants first place. Uh, Forgive me for rebelling against little cliches like that. I, I don't believe God wants first place. I believe he wants all the places. Paul said that in all things he might have the preeminence in all of them. He doesn't want to play first fiddle. He wants to play first, second, third. He wants all of them. The offered life in this matter of pursuing the holy pursuit In the God-conscious life, there's the offered life. The sacrifice must be available. That's a call to you and me to say, Here I am, Lord. And the sacrifice must be acceptable. Purge me, Lord. Purify me. That I might be a presentable sacrifice for Thee. You know those sacrifices were to be without blemish. (laughs) Without spot. So Paul said that we have been called, we have been called unto holiness. Do you all feel like that up here in our part of the country? Holiness is almost a curse word now. Uh, people think that's, well, that's a, that's, a, that's a radical group, holiness. No, that's an attitude of spirit and soul before God. And without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. Somebody says, oh, that's talking about out there in the future. Well, it'll work out there, but it'll work now too. If you want to see Him, if you want to experience Him, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And so there's the offered life, total commitment. Let me quickly come to a fourth emphasis. We've looked firstly at the old landmarks in this holy pursuit of God. 
and the orderly lines, the procedures in this pursuit of God, the offered life in the pursuit of God. I want to mention, fourthly, the optimistic life. I confess my name is Thomas. There's no one here that has had more battles with doubt and unbelief than old Tom. But I'm here to tell you tonight that with God all things are possible. In spite of us. In spite of us. (laughs) Hallelujah. Not because of us. In fact, when I see God move in a meeting or in a life that I've had a little contact with, I stand amazed that God could channel through an unbelief like mine. My favorite prayer is, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. (laughs) Somebody said, well then, what are you doing preaching all around the country for? Because I've been honest with God about it. And he's gracious to help me in spite of me. The optimistic life. How optimistic was the faith in the life of Elijah? It was so optimistic that he soaked the altar with water. (laughs) I thought we were trying to have a fire. But the altar is to be soaked with water. Fill four barrels with water. And he did it three times, which I think, again, is representative of the 12 tribes. And remember, they're in a drought. And they've come up with 12 barrels of water. I I could never figure that out. Until I made my first trip to Israel and on Mount Carmel, I realized that the Mediterranean Sea is just down the mountainside. I believe he sent them down to get the barrels of water out of the Mediterranean Sea. And so these fellows, their obedience is to be commended. They bring those barrels of water one time, a second time, a third time, and there was so much water, it didn't just soak the sacrifice, but it ran about the altar and filled the trench also with water, verse number 35 tells us. Now, this is, this is a Tom idea. You don't have to agree with it. Please don't feel compelled. This is just something that I feel like God's put in my heart. He's got the altar repaired and the altar built. He's dug a trench around the altar. That trench is filled with water. To me, this is, this, is a, this is something God's made applicable to me. I'm just sharing. But that circle, that trench around the altar speaks to me of a worldwide perspective. You see, often I've wanted God's fire to come down on my altar, but I wasn't willing to have a worldwide perspective. When we have others on our hearts and not just ourselves, that's where the fire falls. 
to the world, a global concept, a mission heart. The altar was soaked with water, but hold it, the altar was surrounded with water. If anything happens here by way of consuming a sacrifice, God is going to have to do it. the optimistic faith that I encourage somebody tonight quit seeing God in such a small capacity. He's bigger than your trench. He's bigger than, than the water in the trench. He's bigger than all of the obstacles, all the hindrances. He's God of the universe. <laughs> Well, the Dukes and I have had a, a theological conversation today about the word world. For God so loved the world. We know that doesn't mean flowers, grass, trees. We agreed he... He took it a little further than I'm ready to yet, but we agreed that it involved people, though people is not people are not mentioned in the text. And he's thinking that the earth did not become the world until God had inhabited it with people and even animals. It's never called the world in Genesis. The earth, the earth, the earth. It's later called the world. Uh, Here's Tom. I like to stay on safe ground. I said, Brother Dukes, I personally feel the emphasis is universality. I want to tell you God is over this whole universe tonight. He's the God who can be trusted. Oh, that our faith might be optimistic. Somebody said, oh, I don't know what's going to happen. Gas goes to $6 a gallon. Well, you may learn to thumb again. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen, but I read where God can be trusted from our youth to our old age. The psalmist said, I have been young. And now I'm old and I've not seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. That's a pretty big God. Is your God big tonight or do you have him in some little capsule? Some kind of confined, restraining circumstances. Before we go... I want you to see lastly what I'm calling the overcoming Lord of this pursuit of God. I mean, the whole scene is dramatic, isn't it? Uh, Every family has a child that is overly dramatic. And I would have to say Elijah is that child in his family. Oh, this is a drama. 
But we see something more important than Elijah and the altar and the water and the bullock. We see God overcoming all these obstacles. God revealing His might. Yes, Elijah was jealous for the Lord God. But more than that, the jealous God wanted to reveal His power. And he overcame, firstly, he overcame the difficulties of the prophet, all of the obstacles that Elijah had put out, the barrels, 12 barrels of water, a soaked sacrifice. He also overcame the disobedience of the people. Look at verses 38 and 39. I'm not going to take time to read Elijah's prayer again, but it's a very brief prayer Just a little over 60 words. But verse 38 says, Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. Is God able to do the supernatural? What about where you are? What about where I am? Is God able to take us on? Or do we have to just sort of stop? Say, well, we've just sort of hit a lull. Our class, you know, has sort of hit a lull. The choir... We've learned all the songs that we had hoped to learn. We've sort of hit a lull. Pastor Dan, did you notice he used the same illustration the other night that he used two months ago? We've hit a lull. And for heaven's sake, does he not know any more evangelists than Hayes? I want to tell you, God is bigger than all our difficulties. And He's bigger than the people's disobedience. They remember, that's why they had had no rain. It's the people that disobeyed God and they had run to idolatrous practices. But in verse 39, And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces. Hallelujah. And they said... The Lord, He is the God. The Lord, He is the God. They return to Jehovah. What a revival. The fire fell and the people fell. Then as we find in chapter, the reigning verses of this 18th chapter, the rain fell. There's a moving from heaven. Of course, Elijah slew the prophets. That's a difficult uh, text to explain fully. There's always someone who will have another question. But I I believe this is safe ground for us to stand on. I'll tell you why I use that terminology, safe ground. I have learned that people like to be loud where the Bible is silent and silent where the Bible is loud. But we know this for sure. 
The prophets were slain because Elijah was more than a conqueror. You may need not just to seek God. You may need to destroy those false idols and even those idol makers in your life. The holy pursuit in the God-conscious life. I made a little check today on the web with the word pursuit. Here are all the words that are being used in our day. In pursuit of excellence, in pursuit of success, in pursuit of happiness, in pursuit of love, in pursuit of career, in pursuit of life's best, in pursuit of the good life, in pursuit of one's dreams, in pursuit of one's goals, and the worldwide term, in pursuit of peace. Oh, that God might arouse us to be in pursuit of God. I say it again, blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. The disappointed life is the life that seeks everything else but God. But the filled and the fulfilled life is the soul that seeks after God and His righteousness. Don't stay where you are. As an individual, as a parent, as a Sunday school class teacher, as a deacon, as a worker, as a leader, don't stay where you are. May we follow hard after the Lord our God. Listen to the old preacher, the Apostle Paul. He's an old man when he wrote this. He said, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God Christ Jesus. God help us to press. If you're standing with me, please. You've been so kind. I want the pastor to come. I I don't know how to conclude the service tonight. Lord. Here we are at the foot of Mount Carmel watching the phenomenal, the supernatural. I pray somehow that thou wouldst forgive us for being satisfied with so much less. I pray that thou wouldst teach us afresh to seek after thee, to pant after thee, to follow after thee, to press after thee, to pursue after God. Pray that thou wouldst revive our hunger, 
our thirst, our yearning. Help us to set our affection on things above and not on things of this world. We wait before Thee. May the Spirit of God use these truths. sing this chorus together tonight trust you will mind the Lord we live in a day that is hungering and thirsting and chasing after everything but God if you're here and God has spoken to your heart you need to do business with God why don't you mind the Lord tonight and slip out I need the old I need thee every hour I need thee oh bless me now my Savior I come to everywhere today looking for solutions the church world runs right alongside them folks we need God we need his strength and his power a few weeks ago I sat with a man up in the office and he told me about his struggles and some battles in his life and in his home I said brother you ought to be at church every time the doors are open seeking God letting God do some great things in your life we prayed together and that's the last time I've seen him folks we need God. We need God's help. I'd like for us to close our eyes and sing this together as a prayer. I need thee. Oh, I need thee. I need thee. Oh, I need thee. Every hour I need I come to Thee. I'd like for us as a church body and you that are here, just stay, stay up here if you will. I'd like for us to gather in, close our service with a season of prayer. Joining together as a body to say, we want to go on. I'm thankful for all that God has done for us so far, but I'm not satisfied. I believe God has more for us to do and more to do for us and in us and with us and through us.
Brother Tom, if you would come back up here and pray for our church and this body as we are assembled here asking God for His help and grace. somehow that thou hast worked these truths in us. Lord, please don't leave us where we are as a church body. We've seen too many sacrifices, too many commitments. We, we've seen, Lord, too many evidences of faith. we felt and sensed too much of thy power. We've watched you redirect too many lives. We've witnessed your glory. <laughs> we don't want to stay where we are, Lord. Do it again, Lord. Work in us afresh. Rouse us anew. Renew our vision, our burden. Help us not to tremble beneath our failures, but to rise up in thy power and grace to go on. I pray for these dear ones gathered here tonight. Lord, I pray that the hand of God might be upon each one of us. We read where when John fell on his face that you laid your right hand upon him. Lord, I pray about some of these young men here. Their fervency is to be admired and their, their desires are noble. But Lord, I pray that thou hast lay thy hand upon some of them. Fill them with our spirit. Set them ablaze, Lord, in this community. Make leaders out of them. <laughs> oh, God, only you can do that. Only you can overcome all the obstacles and hindrances. I ask, Lord, that thou wouldst help that one who has felt the call of God, perhaps even yielded to the call of God, I pray, Lord, that you'd help him to take another step forward. For that young lady who wants to commit herself to thee, I pray, Lord, that you'd work it all out for her. She'd overcome all those obstacles and hindrances. I pray for that couple, Lord, that's said, I have decided to follow Jesus. I pray that thou hast helped them to enact it, help them to stand up and go forward. 
Help them to be willing to take a role, a leading role in the church body. I ask, Lord, that thou wouldst take us forward. Take us on, Lord. <laughs> oh, God, please don't leave us where we are. There are too many out here in the community who are yet unreached. And too many, Lord, in this area that need to be trained in worship. Too many that have been disappointed by religion and deadness. I ask, Lord, that thou wouldst bring in a harvest of people. Bring in new potential, Lord. Bring in the people that you want to use in the building of the church. We ask that thou wouldst let the fire fall. Send the rain. Oh, blessed Holy Ghost, send the rain. We thank thee for the dear man of God and his family you put here. Lord, I pray that thou wouldst re-encourage their hearts. Encourage them afresh. Undergird them anew. Fill the Lord again. that thou hast worked mightily in this place. Lord, we didn't start out to stop. <laughs> and we're asking you to take us on. We cry with the Apostle Paul, let us go on. Lord, grant it. Grant it, we pray. Now for thy glory, for thine honor, we ask that thou hast take our commitment and may it not be wood, hay, and stubble may be gold and silver and precious stone. May you do something with us that would honor thyself. We thank you again for this hallowed moment, all thine arrangements, all thine rearrangements. We look to thee. Lord, we're just helpless without thee. We ask that thou wast work mightily in our midst. We thank thee. We bless thee. We thank thee for this time. Thank you for the blessed throne of grace, the blood-sprinkled mercy seat, and for the privilege of access. In Jesus' name we pray. And all the people say,